Hello, world. Welcome back to Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz coming off an incredible 122nd United States Open where Matt Fitzpatrick outlasts Scotty Scheffler and Will Zalatoris to get the job done. Sleaze, that week, that's what professional golf is all about. That was so much fun to watch. That's what a U.S. Open should look like, and that's what it did look like. I mean, that back nine, just going down the stretch, it was awesome to have three guys. It's a three-man race pretty much turned into. There were times in the back nine where I was pretty convinced all three different guys were going to win. I thought it was Scotty Scheffler's as he's made his way into the back nine after that four-under on the front nine. Then early in the back nine when Zalatoris made the turn, that two-stroke swing on 11, I thought it was his. Then late in the game, we saw Fitzpatrick come away with it. But it wasn't just like full-on survival. There were a lot of bogeys out there, but there were also some unbelievable shots going back and forth between those guys. It was... It was spectacular. It was about as good as I think you could turn out from Brookline. I heard zero complaints about the golf course to set up any of that type of stuff. And and you ended up getting a dude that like probably should have won. I mean, any one of those three could have, but he he earned that thing. That shot on 18 where I thought he was dead in the water after hitting that three wood behind the finger to pull that thing off, man. It was just that was just a hell of a week to watch golf, dude. It was awesome. And and that's what it's that's how it should be. It's a major championship. The stars rose to the top. And we had a battle and you could see it wasn't they weren't playing for the money. They were playing for the pride of being a major champion. And it was so cool to see. I mean, listen, it was, you know, with all this other nonsense going on in the world of golf right now. I thought that was going off of what happened in Canada. where you had three stars battling it out on Sunday to lead into this. I thought this is exactly what golf and the PGA Tour needed at this exact moment. Yeah, Canada was unbelievable. Then you go into this week, that was about as good of a turnout as you could have possibly had. I was really interested going into the week, like, what if one of these defect guys, what if one of the live guys gets into contention? Pretty much none of them were a factor at all. I think there was, what, 17 of them in the field, and only a few of them, a handful of them the played cut. the weekend. I Dustin think was two under DJ the was day. the highest like, finisher, yeah. but none of them were an issue. Dude, we were out there, you know, all week, more or less, and, like, just seeing those guys take Phil out because he's, like, the, the face, and I think he was just dreading this week for the entire time. I think he just wanted to get off property as quick as possible, but it seemed like the vibe was a little bit different with a lot of those guys. Like they were kind of hitting balls next to each other. It was almost like an us versus them type of a deal. And it just felt different with some of those guys that, are, that went over there and played London. Cause it is different. Yeah. It's just, but you could like sense it. Yeah. You could feel it out there, but go back to Matt Fitzpatrick real quick, because I mean, here's a guy who won the USA amateur in 2013 joins Jack Nicholas as the only male golfer to win the USAM and the U S open on the same golf course. Jack did it at Pebble beach. Now Matt Fitzpatrick at the country club, but you know, we talk, you got to play great golf, but you also have to have some things go your way as well. And you look coming down the stretch on Sunday, the tee shot on 15, which he missed miles right, ended up hitting a guy, ended up looking like it was on a tee, sitting over there in the trample down rough. Zalatoris misses the fairway by five, six yards. He's absolutely screwed. Fitzpatrick was able to hit a five iron from 225 to about 15, 18 feet, make it for birdie. Huge two-shot swing right there. And then the tee shot on 18, he overhooked the three-wood, and it looked like from the first camera angle we saw, when it just showed the ball, it's like, oh, he's dead. This is pitch out. But it ended up being he was just far enough to the left that he was able to hit a cut nine iron from 159, which as a Still guy was an unbelievable out of fairway shot. bunker shots, that was so cool to see because that shot is so hard. And to control the distance, control the flight, everything, it was it was awesome to watch. He hit two fantastic shots when he got great breaks. But that's what you got to do. You got to take advantage of the breaks, and he did it. Yeah, the one on 15 was the one I'm going to point to at the end of the week. It was like Matt, like you said, missed it by a wide margin perfect lie clean lie like you said on the tee 
But to go and then make birdie out of there from 220 hits the five iron and makes birdie. I thought at the time I was like, all right, well, Will's going to struggle to make four. Fitz probably going to have a pretty easy four, maybe gives up one. But to give up two there and then, God damn, I mean, Zalatoris comes back with that laser on, on 16, stuffs it in there, makes that putt too, which a lot of people talking about is putting. I am the ringleader for Will Zalatoris putts plenty good enough to win a major championship. This is his third runner up, his second back to back. Uh, he's about two inches overall from being a back-to-back major champion. I, I'm just kind of done with the whole Will Zalatoris doesn't putt it well enough. There's a few little glitchy strokes there. The one on eight from two feet where he was cleaning it up uh, gave me a little bit of pause. But, dude, it's good enough. He's done it too many times. And for whatever reason, the major championships seem to be the toughest greens. He putts better on those than he does on a, on a normal week. He's top ten in the last three major championships in putting. You know, he's he's won 30 on the PGA Tour during regular events, which, yeah. which is crazy because you think, you know, it's it's the, the greens are harder, they're faster, they should be more difficult to putt, but he seems to shine under those moments, which is which is awesome to see. And it was his driver, really. Like he said it in his press conference afterwards. He's like, Look, if you're gonna look back and look at a reason why I didn't win today, it was my driver. He's like, Look at twelve, look at thirteen, which he ended up making the incredible save after Fitz drops the bomb. Uh, then you go into 15. That was another one that cost him. Like it was the driver that was costing him the shots. It wasn't the putter. So I'm done with the whole wheels out towards. I don't care what it looks like. He gets it in the hole from short distances. Everybody's going to have some misses and majors. But like I said, dude, he's two inches away from us being like back to back wins for wheels out towards in major championships. Like yeah. it's it's all there. I felt really bad for him. And I, I hope that uh, he gets one soon because that's what six out of nine officially and eight if you don't count the WD at the open. Yeah. And speaking of the driver. My God, Matt Fitzpatrick, the work he has done with Sasha McKenzie, who we had on our SiriusXM show this week, and among others, his whole team, to pick up the speed he has and not lose any accuracy. I mean, here's a guy who has 178. We saw a number five when he was the only guy to drive it on the hole on that Sunday. 181 ball speed is so incredible. I mean, this guy's picked up 30 to 40 yards off the tee. It's, it's a total game changer for him. He was number two in strokes gained off the tee this week at the U.S. Open. Uh, 17th or 16th in, in uh, distance, 5th in accuracy. So he's always been a straight driver, but he's gotten a lot longer and hasn't sacrificed any accuracy. On top of that, he was number one in greens and reg. How about 17? 17 greens and reg on a Sunday at a U.S. Open. When you can gain that and you don't sacrifice accuracy, just the entire game becomes easier. I mean, he was talking about it earlier in the year. He's like, I was in Abu Dhabi. The ball was going miles. And he's like, this is when I felt like I was hitting my my longest. And he's like, I shot 62 in a practice round out there, and I didn't feel like I did anything. I just hit it down the fairway. I flipped wedges on the green and made putts. And that's what these guys that win all the time do to every golf course, more or less. That's what Rory does when he drives it well. That's what DJ did when he was winning all this stuff. Brooks, same thing. It's just game changer. But he's done it. He didn't try to do it overnight. He did it in like a three, four-year span. But now that he's got that pop, and watching him swing it, dude, like he's still got the quick tempo. The swing looks the same. I don't expect to see 179, 180 ball speed when it comes up on the monitor, and damned if it isn't there, but that's a complete game changer. He's like, it's like Matt Fitzpatrick 2.0 now compared to what he's been, you know, for the last, you know, ever since he turned pro, really. Well, look, I mean, I, I know stats don't always tell the story, but if you look at strokes gain total, which puts all the major stats together, he was number one all year, fell to number two after Canada when Rory Ugh. won, but I believe he's back at number one again. So when you break it all down, like, He's arguably he's number ten in the world now, but he's playing the best of anyone in the world. I mean, Scotty Scheffler's playing fantastic golf, continues to contend week in and week out. But when Matt Fitzpatrick, who's a very analytical guy, looks at those stats, he's got to be like, 
holy shit, I'm one of the best players in the world right now. Yeah, the numbers, you can say whatever you want. Like, they don't metrics don't lie. There's no bias in metrics. And I don't know what this stack system is. We just had Zasho on this morning. I need it. Well, I need another. Guess who's ordering one? I need, another, I need to go from 111 to 120 real quick, just like that. I might have to return. That's what I need for that USGA four ball next well, year. But it was, he's a beast, dude. He's sending it now. I got some news for you here, if you're ready for Feed it. Feed me. Which maybe you can be the commentator for this. Yep. Myself. Sasha McKenzie works a lot alongside Mark Blackburn, who's the coach of golf subpar. Okay. Correct. Mark and I have decided we're going all in on oh a boy. speed gaining mission. For you? For yep. the gravy? For the gravy. We're going to see how fast from start we can to get it up to. We're, Where are we right now? About 102 is 102, are we? Okay. So Where are we trying to get? I told him if you can get me over 110, this would be a game-changing mission. You, Not that I want to start playing golf again. I just think it'd be a lot of fun. But maybe. But, but here's maybe. the deal. We just, we, we, we've been talking today. We, we're having a meeting on Thursday about this. We're going to document the whole thing, and it's going to be straight speed sesh for gravy. Wow, the gravy it's quest for speed. <laughs> this is going to be or, or just more speed. We should say. If yeah. he gets you from one you, – A, you're going to have to do a lot of shit. Like, it's like workouts and all the type I of stuff. I got a lot it's of It's not just like lay on the couch and read something. But like, I got oh, yeah, four I events five. left on CBS, and then I – it's break time. All right, I'm going to be very interested in this. If he gets you from 102, wherever you're at right now, to over 110, this thing is going to need an IPO because it is going to explode. If they get you to 110, 111, somewhere in there. If it works, I'm going to get in on that. But, dude, you're going to have to like do some shit. It's I'm, not just laying around. I'm ready. All right. I understand that. Like, when does this begin? We have a meeting Thursday. Oh, we're going to be a meeting? We're going to we're gonna discuss all we need to do. To, to get it right, but I'm all in on this. Don't let this affect your hybrid game, dude. Don't, in the quest for distance, allow Gary to I know, go. I'm be hitting six you know, irons, seven irons instead of hybrids. You might have to dump some hybrids and start getting long irons. Yeah, so be but careful what to, you I'm wish I'm going to be for. a very popular member guest partner if I get this thing over 110. Well, no doubt about it. This is the difference between Matt Fitzpatrick five years ago and Matt Fitzpatrick now is like everything else can stay the same. If you're hitting two clubs less into every green, not only do you get longer off the tee, but your irons are going further too. It's just, fuck it. I mean, it's not a secret, dude. The game's just a lot easier, but he did it over time and didn't sacrifice any accuracy along the way. Well, get ready because it's coming. Holy man. shit. And the 122nd U.S. Open has concluded and the champion has been crowned. Dewar's, the official Scotch whiskey of the U.S. Open and the most awarded blended Scotch whiskey in history, is proud to congratulate the winner of this prestigious tournament, Matt Fitzpatrick. We're also proud to announce the limited release 2022 Dewar's 19-year-old Champions Edition, double-aged, then finished in New American Oak and first fill rye cast for a profile as rich and complex as the game we all love. The 19-year-old Champions Edition is a truly remarkable experience, worthy of raising a glass to the glory of the U.S. Open and the champions it creates. Please join us in celebrating the winner as we look forward to next year's tournament at the Los Angeles Country Club. Here's to great scotch whiskey, here's to golf, and here's to celebrating the best of the best in every regard. Matt Fitzpatrick, congratulations. By the way, I'm surprised they have any of this whiskey left after what you did to it up there Bud. at Barramore. But Our cheers hey, moment of the Barramore. week. <laughs> I went a little heavy on the doers, bro. I was uh, these highballs. I was putting highballs down like I was John Morant. They were just floating them up there. I was putting them down. I I sucked down more doers that night than I think I have in the last year combined. I was, I was feeling no pain, feeling good though, dude. If you're gonna do it, drink it with the classiest scotch in the game. You know what I mean? I was classy around that joint. That 19 year old is nice. Oh my god, very mature as most 19 year olds are. Exactly, dude. That's the thing. I don't know how they get them so mature so quick. But I was sucking those bad boys down. Do you remember like the they were going out of night? style? I was one, my team, you know what I mean? I've been on them all year. 
Hell of a night out of, out of Barrymore, though, by the way. Shout out to them for hosting that was us. And everybody that showed up. Yes. Roger Steele in the house, too. By the way, he ain't afraid to drink a little doers either. No, he's not. Andres Gonzalez. Um, it was a lot of fun. Barrymore was fantastic. Boston was incredible. Y'all showed up. We had a blast. We also had a blast with our guest this week. If you're into college basketball, you're going to like this one. Even if you're not, if you're, you're going to like this one. Listen to cool dudes. This is a cool dude right here. He loves his basketball, he loves his golf, he loves his cocktails. Jay Billis joins us on Golf Subpar. Yeah, I was looking forward to this for a while. I've not met Jay personally, but tons of you know people that I know, friends in the business, like to a man, they're like one of my favorite people in the world. I was like, God damn, this Jay sounds like a hell of a dude. And turns out they were right. They were. This one was a lot of fun. But before we get to Jay Billis, please, if you want to go tee it up, if you want to try to win the US Open, you got to have a golf ball to do it. Once you get on the stack system, bud, and you use the TP5 or TP5X, mm. you're going to be dangerous get brother. down this is what you do this is what you do with these balls okay ready high bombs low cutters yep flighted wedges flop shots to tuck pins all the shit we hit all the time the beauty of golf is that in any given round you get to play so many different types of shots that's why you need the ball that's made to be better on every shot in golf the tp5 and tp5x from TaylorMade. with the tp5 and tp5x no matter what shot you're facing you'll have the confidence to step into it and think I love it. Stock fade, love it. Step on three wood, love it. Knock it down under the wind, love it. Whatever shot you need to pull off, the TaylorMade TP5 and 5X were made to do it better than any other ball in golf. Whether we're talking about the final round of a major or a casual round with your buddies on any given Saturday. That's why players like Dustin Johnson, Roy McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, Tommy Fleetwood, and so many other pros trust TP5 and TP5X every week. Looking for a little more feedback around the greens? Both TP5 and 5X come in picks for better, better visual feedback around the greens and a little extra flair. So... If you want to step into every shot you face and think, I love it, try the most complete ball in golf. Head to TaylorMadeGolf.com and use the promo code SUBPAR for free shipping. Stack plus TP5 or 5X, game over. Send it. Absolutely. Hello Load up world. on some TaylorMade golf balls, free shipping. Use that code SUBPAR. All right, here we go. Jay Billis on Golf SUBPAR. All right, we've got a man of many talents with us here today. Former four-year starter for the Duke Blue Devil basketball team, two-time national champion as an assistant coach, now a college basketball analyst with ESPN, where he's been nominated for multiple Emmys, and on top of that, also a licensed attorney. But other than that, I hadn't really done shit with his life, but we're going to talk to him anyway. <laughs> Jay Billis, what up? How are you, bud? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. God, get a hobby, dude. Maybe do something with your life, huh? Yeah, well, aside from golf, drinking, and basketball, uh, I don't have much else to do. I got two of those three, That's three things life. covered, just the golf and drinking. The basketball I stay away from. Not really built for that. That's the life. Let's. I want to go, because you mentioned the assistant coaching thing. I, I, I want to go through your whole career, but I, I, I got to dive into this assistant coaching thing real quick, because you spent three years there under Coach K. You go to three finals games, and you win two of them. Do you have the best record ever, and you're just like, shit, I can't do anymore. I'm out of here. That's basically what I told Coach K is the program really went in the toilet after I left. <laughs> um, so I was playing pro basketball over overseas. I was playing in Italy uh, and uh, Coach K had called. I'd applied to law school. Um, my dad encouraged me to do it because he figured if I played 10 or 12 years over there that I wouldn't go back to law school and, and I'd be some, you know, schlep doing nothing. Uh, which sounds pretty good right now. But um, so when I applied to law school, Coach Cape found out about it and he called me and offered me a, a spot on his staff. And and he said, look, if, if you get into law school, will you will you accept it? And I said, well, yeah. But I mean, you know, and it, and it was his idea that I do both at the same time. 
so I coached while I was in law school and, uh, and the first year, I, I don't think I slept more than three yeah. hours a night cause I was so scared, but then I found out it really wasn't that big of a deal. So it wound up being a, a really good thing for me to do. But at that time I wasn't that interested in being a lawyer. I really just wanted to get the education, get the degree and then stay in coaching. Uh, but after, you know, my third year as an assistant there started, um, I got engaged and, uh, and my wife really didn't want to live a coach's, uh, a coach's life, uh, because it entailed moving, uh, every few years. And, and she probably thought that it would be moving cause I would get fired. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so we just decided to go the, the route, uh, of, of what she considered to be more stability. And I figured, you know, it was a we decision, not a me decision. It was just me. I would have stayed with coaching, but it was more about what we wanted to do, and uh, and we're lucky it worked out worked out halfway decent for us. Yeah. If it wasn't thirty years ago, and Coach K was a lot younger at this point, obviously, if he didn't have such a long runway ahead of him, would you have thought about maybe riding it out and being his successor at Duke? Well, it would have been a long ride if you yeah. wanted to do that, uh, because he stuck around for forty two years. You know, it's funny when when I was coming out of high school, I grew up in Los Angeles in a, a area called Rolling Hills, and. Uh, you know, I had a really, really lucky. I had a great high school team with all my best friends, and we just we didn't have a very good coach, and uh, and it was uh, kind of miserable uh, from that standpoint. So all I really cared about when I was making my college decision was who am I going to play for? Like, what coach do I want to play for? And Coach K of the guys I came down to was the least experienced, the least well known, and the least accomplished. And there was just something about him that I wanted to play for him. And uh, so I chose Duke, not necessarily because of Duke. It was very little about the school. It was all about him, frankly. And um, if you had told me when I was playing for him that, you know, I'm playing for the greatest coach of all time, uh, I, I, you know, I, I probably would have done a double take saying, really? I mean, John Wooden's pretty good and you know, Dean Smith's pretty good. Uh, but you know, it, it really kind of amazes me that I, I was lucky enough with my teammates to get in on the ground floor of, of arguably the, the greatest coaching career of all time. And, uh, and I'm, I, I count myself as extraordinarily grateful that, uh, that I was there then. And I probably learned more about basketball in those three years than I did in all the years leading up to it. And broadcasting has helped me build on it, frankly, uh, because I'm around, uh, in meetings and practices and film sessions with all the best coaches now. And so I've, I've learned that coach K's way was a great way, but it's not necessarily the only way. And so I think my, my experience in the game has been more varied as a result of broadcasting than it would have been if I had just stayed in, in coaching. That's crazy that you got him that early on that he, you know, you didn't think he would go on to be that. What were some, what were some of the other schools you were looking at? What were your like final three choices? I came down to uh, to Coach K at Duke, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, uh, and both of them up until this last year were still going. Uh, Lute Olson was at Iowa at the time, and then uh, and then a guy named Ted Owens is just a wonderful gentleman. He's in his mid nineties now uh, at Kansas, so it would have been one of those four places. And oddly enough, so I, I came down. Uh, I took visits to to Duke, Syracuse, and Iowa, and I had my last visit scheduled to Kansas with Coach Owens. And Coach K called me like three days before I was going to take my Kansas visit, and he was pretty stern with me. He said, "Where where are you in your decision? Like I need to know." And I said, "Well, I'm I'm leaning towards Duke." And he says, "What does that mean? What what are the percentages here?" And, you know, I was 17 years old. I didn't know, I hadn't gotten it down to percentages. So I started making shit up and I was saying, well, I'm, I'm 75% Duke and I'm X percent Syracuse and I'm X percent Iowa. 
And he goes, well, where does that leave Kansas? He says, like, yeah, like 2% left. And, and I was like, oh, geez. Um, and, and he goes, look, he goes, that, that would be dishonest of you to take that visit to Kansas if, uh, if that's where you are in the process. He says, I know if I were at 2%, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to waste my time with you. And, uh, and so I was like, geez, I don't want to be dishonest. So I called Coach Owens and I told him I was sick and couldn't take the visit. So in order to be honest, I lied to Coach Perfect. Owens about why I couldn't visit. So I, I was like, and we still, I, I saw Coach Owens last time. I saw him a, a couple of years ago and I told him that story. And I'm like, geez, you know, I really wanted to take the visit because, uh, you know, I loved him. And, and obviously Kansas is a great place. Um, but, uh, but Coach K talked me out of it. He used his Bengali uh, stuff even back then. And you had to help him win that third consecutive softball championship or whatever that letter he was. I, I, I read that letter that he sent you. He's like, I, look, you can come to Duke for a lot of reasons, but most importantly, I need you to help me win this third this third championship in a row on the softball field. Yeah, it, and I did help him. I mean, I was a total ringer because some of the other guys, uh, some of the other guys he recruited couldn't play dead on a on a baseball field. Um, I think Johnny Dawkins held uh, held the uh, the bat with his hands like totally separated, and I'm like, "Have you never held a bat before?" He goes, "I've never played baseball before." And I'm going, "You're kidding me! Uh, how could you grow up in America and not play baseball?" Um, but he, he would have been wasting his time as great of a basketball player as he was. Of all the time you spent around Coach K, whether it be as a player or as an assistant, is there like maybe a halftime speech or a pregame speech that stuck out to you? Oh yeah, there are a lot of them. Um, he was uh, not always fire and brimstone, but he could peel the paint off the walls when he wanted to. Like when we weren't playing well, he he would would come in there and and uh, and raise hell with us. Um, my favorite one was uh, my freshman year before we played Louisville, and that that was back when Louisville was the doctors of dunk. You know, they played Houston in the semifinals in the final four, and you know there's a dunk fest with five slam pajama, and uh, you know we were underdogs. We started all freshmen. And, and so, you know, we had not played well coming into that game and we'd lost a few and all of a sudden the lights go out in the locker room right before we're about to go out on the floor. And we're thinking, geez, they didn't even pay the light bell like this. We're falling <laughs> apart. And all of a sudden you could see this flickering light down the hallway and he comes in with a candle in front of his face. So all you could, it was pitch dark and all you could see was his face like hovering in the middle of the room. And, and all he said was uh, with this candle, he said, I came not to praise Louisville, but to bury them and then blew the candle out. And all of us started screaming and jumping up in the middle of the room. We went out on the, on the floor and we played a great first half. We shot like 60% in the first half. And then he didn't do anything at halftime. Uh, he just said, Hey, we're doing, you know, we're doing well, keep doing this, keep doing that. And then they kicked our ass in the second half. So he probably <laughs> should have brought out a candle at halftime. That might've been helpful. That's awesome. I never I would that. expect Coach K to be like the, the not a gimmick, but you know what I mean? Like the rah-rah, let's let's pull out all the stops here to get my guys going. He does that. Yeah, he does that from time to time. I mean, I wasn't there for this one, but later on, I had been told by a, a, a player uh, later, I mean, it must have been in 2005 or later, where he came into the pregame speech and he was wearing like uh, boxing gloves and a, and a robe like, you know, Rocky and came in there and gave, gave a speech and that kind of thing. He didn't do it very often. But uh, but he can you know he can reach into his bag of tricks uh, when he wants to. He, he's he's really good with motivation and and inspiration. Uh, but his best stuff was all was not necessarily the rah rah stuff. It was more when he could reach you on a uh, like get into your heart. And he did that on a number of occasions where where I mean he he was stirring. Uh, and and he used to have this thing. I mean he probably still does, but. 
he calls it chills, but I call them goosebumps, that he'd be talking about winning. And my seat in the locker room was actually right in front of him, which sometimes was good and sometimes not so good. Uh, but, you know, so I could, I was right, literally right next to him and he would be waxing poetic about winning a championship or, or whatever it was and how we were going to do. And he got goosebumps on his arms and legs. And, uh, and you're like, okay, you can't fake that. Like, this is real. Uh, he's not making this up. It, it, it's not, it's not BS. That's incredible. I, I can't imagine what it's like playing for him. I don't feel like he'd be the most intimidating boxer though when he walked in i don't know if that'd really get me going fill out the robe quite like no, but, <laughs> he might but want. he'd probably he'd probably take a swing at me for saying this but but back then uh he was pretty fiery and so every it, it didn't happen very often but but i i certainly remember one time when he uh he basically said you know he was kind of questioning our our toughness and our manhood as individuals and in in a team and he said he said one time he goes yeah you might not think it but he goes i'll fight you you go, I'll fight every one of you. And and you may beat me up, but you'll have to kill me. Like, you'll have to kill me. And a lot of us were thinking, we would we kill would, you. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, not only would, and, and right now, we want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's got about fantastic. a foot. Let me ask you one more question about Duke coaching because John Shire's taking over the helm now. Is that the best job in the world because he's getting the keys to a Ferrari? Or is that the toughest gig in the world because it's like coming on stage after Chappelle? Like, you know, no matter what you do, you can't live up to the guy before you. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's both. I, I mean, I, I've, I said this before Coach K retired. I, th I thought it was going to be the hardest act to follow in the history mm -hmm. of sports, sure. not just because of the success. But, you know, I grew up in L.A. and John Wooden, when I was a little kid, John Wooden was the king. And, uh, and you know, when he retired, that was an incredibly difficult act to follow. Bear Bryant, the same. You, know, you can name a bunch of these different coaches. But John Wooden didn't do all his work on television and with the Internet. Coach K did. Like, his entire career was on television. And Duke was, from the time I played there, when we got to be number one, we were the most televised team in basketball history our senior year and had the most national TV appearances and all that stuff. And, and obviously, that's changed since then. It's got even bigger. Uh, so, you know, there, there, there are so many people that have gone through the system that didn't know a world without coach K being the biggest deal in it in basketball. And, uh, so John has to deal with that. Um, but it is, a, it is, if not the best job in basketball, it's in the top five. And I think John Shire is uniquely qualified to handle it one because of his demeanor. Uh, he's, he's unflappable and the other, you know, the other attributes, like he's a great X and O coach. Um, he's technically skilled and, and he's able to reach people, uh, on a granular level. Um, it, it's impossible to say that anybody can match up to coach K. Um, but that's not really the issue. Uh, I think John will be able to blaze his own trail and do it his own way. Uh, and I, I think people will be accepting of it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when Bill Guthridge and, and later on Roy Williams followed Dean Smith or now Hubert Davis following Roy Williams, you you, you have to you, you ultimately have to do it your way, um, because if if you don't and it doesn't work out, you're always going to regret it. I think if you do it your way, uh, you know, succeed or fail, um, you can you can look yourself in the mirror and feel good about it. Yeah, it's impossible to fill the shoes of those guys. I mean, it's just. And Hubert Davis, I mean, shout out to him. What a what an unbelievable job he's done. But let's talk after you after you stepped away from assistant coaching, you move into TV. And ninety five, you signed with ESPN. What is TV something that always interested you? 
Yeah, it did. Uh, but when I was in high school, I, I was asked, you know, when you got to be a good player and started being like kind of locally celebrated, you know, you get articles written about you and you have, um, you know, people ask, you know, what do you want to do after basketball? And the truth is, Colt, I didn't have a good answer. And so at that time, this is back in the late 70s, early 80s, there were athletes that were becoming broadcasters. You know, Frank Gifford was doing Monday Night Football and Don Drysdale was, uh, was calling baseball games as a play-by-play -play person. And so I, I said, well, may, I'd like to get into broadcasting. But the truth is, I didn't know what I was talking about. I just kind of said it. And as a result of that, you know, that became uh, part of, you know, the news story about me. And so when I was being recruited, a lot of schools recruited me to that. You know, they, they had a broadcast journalism uh, department or whatever. And you could um, get your alums involved back then. It was legal to introduce, you know, recruits to alums. And Coach K introduced me to a guy named Chuck Howard, who was uh, an executive producer with uh, ABC Sports. And uh, Chuck was a real mentor of mine and started giving me jobs while I was in college. I worked my first job is I worked the PGA championship at Riviera country club that Hal Sutton won. And, uh, and I, saw, I, I did Monday night baseball, the 1984 Olympics in LA. Um, I did, I did all kinds of, I did bowling, uh, Chris Schenkel and Nelson Burton jr. I did bowling <laughs> events. Um, I did all kinds of stuff and it sort of whet my appetite for it and made me think that maybe someday I could do this and started working it a little bit. But I, I sort of honestly gave up on it when I quit uh, the coaching gig and, and, you know, I, I accepted a job as a, as a lawyer in Charlotte, North Carolina with a big firm called Moore and Ben Allen. And, you know, I'm practicing law and I get a call one day from a guy named George Hable, who was the president of the Capital Sports Network. And he offered me uh, radio games. He said, I want you to do games on the radio for us. And, and I thought, and it was zero money. I think I got 200 bucks a game plus expenses. And I thought, you know what, uh, I'm going to try this. And if, it, if I screw up my law practice, I'll quit. Um, but I figured, why would I quit before I started? And I started doing radio. And that's what led to the ESPN thing in 95. I think it did radio for like two or three years. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And it was great training for me. Uh, and it was just something I enjoyed doing. And after six, seven years of practicing law and then doing broadcasting uh, together, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do both. I was just worn out all the time. And and I thought, well, let's try the ESPN thing. And if it doesn't work out, I can hang my shingle back out again and, and, and maintain my law practice. But, but the, the broadcast side worked out. I'm still with my firm, but uh, I'm probably the, uh, the least valuable lawyer uh, in, in the entire firm. What's your retainer right now, Jay? Assuming a couple of fellas needed some legal representation <laughs> down the road and we need your services. Yeah, I do a lot of divorces, name changes, and uh, and I, I'm I'm very big in uh, in uh, when people get uh, traffic tickets, I, I help them out with that. Um, but you know, I'll I'll bring in the occasional piece of business. That's basically what I do. But I haven't billed an hour in forever. Uh, but I you know I still keep my license up, do all my you know CLE stuff. So I'm I'm uh, I'm available if you need me. So uh, I'd be more than happy you know, when you get in the witness protection program to process all the documentation. Good man, could you be on some of those traffic violations too? But I'm racking up quite the the tab here. You'll probably get a call for, from Sleaze before me, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna need. Yeah, keep that phone on that hip. You know what I mean? Uh, I love, so, I mean, being obviously the legendary broadcaster you are, you get to go to some of the best places in the country to call games. Let's take Cameron Indoor out of it. What's your favorite stop in college basketball? It's not close. It's Allen Fieldhouse at Kansas. Um, I have used a golf analogy to describe it. It's the St. Andrews of college basketball. Uh, you know, the, the, I mean, James Naismith was their first coach. I mean, the 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 guy that invented the game. 
and he's also the only can- coach in Kansas history with a losing record. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's a magnificent place, and there's nowhere like it. It's the only place that I would say is on par with Cameron. Uh, and it's actually a better place to call a game because you're down on the floor. You know, Cameron, you're up in the, uh, they call it the bird's nest or the crow's nest, whatever, but you're you're way above the action. It's still a great view and it's still, you know, as good a place as anywhere. It'd be even better if you were down on the floor. Uh, but but both those places, it's like, uh, you know, Wrigley Field and, uh, and uh, Fenway Park, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just, they're, they're so unique and different from anything else um you know that both both those buildings uh have a soul and and one of my favorite times to be in in Allen Fieldhouse and Cameron is when nobody's in there you know when you go in there like maybe you're an hour before practice or something there's nobody there and all you can hear is the hum of the lights um you know the building kind of speaks to you in a way it's really really a neat place to be yeah i i've been to Cameron Indoor with nobody in it that's the only time i've ever been there but i've heard the bird's nest or whatever you want to call it. I heard it gets rather warm up there during games. It gets hot. Um, And so when I was doing radio up there, uh, I worked with a legendary broadcaster named Bob Harris and I would show up in a uh, golf shirt and a, you know, a pair of slacks. And, and he got on me saying, Hey, we wear a coat and tie here. And I'm like, I am not sweating through a suit (laughs) up in this thing. Uh, That's not how we're not on camera. Nobody's going to see me. So I'm not doing that. And then later on, he, you know, he wore a golf shirt uh, in later years. And I would always tease him, say, hey, you know, that's not what we're about here at Duke. Uh, so I gave him a pretty good hard time about that. Speaking of legendary broadcasters, you eventually go on to work with Bill Raftery. You got his, you got his uh, sign there in the back. Give me, the, give me your first impression of Bill Raftery when you met him. And then maybe your all-time favorite story. Because we got a bunch of friends who are friends with him. And to a man, I've never heard anyone revered the same way he is. Yeah, I, I can't remember the first time I met him, uh, but when I first started working f- uh, with him, ESPN dropped me into the booth with uh, Sean McDonough and Raft, and they had been working together with CBS and ESPN. And it was like, you know, I talk about being the third wheel in a marriage. I was really nervous when they dropped me in there. I thought, I, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. And we did a Notre Dame game. We were in South Bend uh, on Big Monday. And, uh, and McDonough, I don't know if you know Sean McDonough, but he has got maybe the best sense of humor of any, any friend I have. And, um, so we were doing the game and a guy named Danny Miller was playing for, uh, for Notre Dame. He transferred in from, uh, from Maryland and, uh, he, uh, he made a great play and Raftery immediately says it's Miller time. And you know how I love hearing that. And, and as soon as it got out of his mouth, McDonough says, Except on Big Monday, brought to you by Bud Light. And I lost, I lost my shit. I was laughing so hard. I was going like, I, this is where I belong. Uh, and we had the best time. Uh, all we did was bust each other's chops. And we went out after every game. Uh, and we went out before the game, not, not drinking, but we went out and had a few pops after the game. And uh, everywhere we went. And one night we were, uh, we, we had done a game in Milwaukee. And we went out to a place called Moe's, a steakhouse afterwards. And uh, and McDonough wasn't there because he was doing, it was the night of the college football playoff. Uh, it was a BCS championship game back then. So we thought, do our big Monday game. Then we'll go to Moe's and get a private room and have a TV on, watch the game, uh, drink some wine, have a, have a steak and enjoy ourselves. So I got there with Dave Pash, our play-by-play guy. I got there a little bit earlier than Raftery did. And, uh, and so I, I had just 
at that time, my eyes had just gone and I didn't have reading glasses with me, but I couldn't see the menu. So I asked the, the waiter, um, what's a good cab? And he points to, to something. And I said, great, bring that. And Dave Pash looks at me and says, Jay, that's like $300 a bottle. And what was I going to do? Like go chase the guy down and say, well, sorry, we're, we're, we want the cheap stuff. So I said, Dave, you know, just having you here, that's, that's, it's worth every penny. But I thought we'll adjust that when Raf gets here and we start ordering, ordering more. So Raf got there, brought three or four other guys and we were sitting there and I, I just stopped paying attention and we ordered a fair amount of wine that night. And so Raftery and I, over the years, we would always kind of fight each other for the check. So, you know, I'd get up, go use the can. I'd give the waiter my credit card or something. Then they bring the check to me. So I didn't, I wasn't paying attention and Raft had, had already slid the guy's credit card. So they brought him back the little uh, leather thing with the, the, the check in it and Raft opens it up, looks at it and screams out, holy shit. <laughs> and and then it kind of almost crying. And then he looks at me and he goes, would you mind ordering from the Irish side of the menu once in a while? And I said, come on, man, give that to me. That's my fault. And he goes, no, I'll pay it. <laughs> And and he brings that up all the time. But uh, yeah, but would you mind ordering some Irish wine tonight? I got, I got, got a new contract. It's not as big as yours. <laughs> That's awesome. I heard nobody goes harder than him, too. Like, he's the last guy to leave the bar most nights. I think he's a vampire. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how he does it. And, and he's the first one up, you know, the next morning to catch a flight. Uh, we were in Maui one time at a place called Longies, which was his favorite place. Like there's never been a time that he wasn't at the Maui Invitational, that he wasn't at Longies after the game. It was a requirement. We went there. It's a great place. And we were there one night until I don't know what time it was, but it was way after last call and the place was closed. They had turned every chair, uh, upside down on the table, except for the ones we were sitting at. And finally they kept saying, Raph, we gotta, we gotta close down. Like we, we can't keep doing this. And he had a drink in his hand. And finally, they, they came up and they said, Raft, we got to close the place down. They took the drink out of his hands. And he jumped up jokingly, but he jumped up and he says, that's it. I'm not coming here anymore. And walked out. He was just kidding. But like the idea that he wouldn't go there anymore was ludicrous. But uh, I, I still remember that one. What a beauty. Oh, he's so give it. All right. You got to give us your best Raft man to man. You got one? Well, everybody does the man-to-man -man thing, uh, but my, my favorite thing that Raph would do is when anybody would bring him a drink, when the waiter would or waitress would bring a drink over, if it wasn't filled up to the to the rim, he would look at him or her and say, what, you trip? <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> I'll do it. I'm going to use that. I steal that one every once in a while. I'm going to use that. That um, was the best. That was the best trio was you, Raph, and McDonough. I love that. I remember... Thinking back, and I was looking back at some of the great calls on that thing, and there was one time where you guys were talking about a star player of one team. Like, oh, yeah, they're going to have to really ride him today. They're going to really have to ride him. And Rap <laughs> looks and goes, hey, you ever been ridden? And I think you were like, oh, boy. A lot of ways to answer that one. Don't know which way to go. Yeah, I said uh, he, he, we were talking about uh, they're, they're really – somebody said they're really – maybe it's McDonough. They're really riding the hot player. And then he, then he looks at me and goes, hey, Jay, have you ever been ridden? Yeah, and I said, "Well, yeah, but not as the hot player." That's awesome. <laughs> Every which way, except as the hot player. <laughs> Obviously, another legend in college basketball broadcasting, Dickie V. You got any good Dickie V stories for us? Plenty. Uh, Vital is a uh, unique character. He's not only a great guy 
yeah, he's got more energy than than anybody I've ever known. And we were working together one time uh, at a an event called the Great Eight, where they had the Elite Eight teams from the past year would play in a little tournament uh, in Chicago. And we were staying at at a really nice hotel in Chicago. I think it was the Drake. And uh, I'm headed to practice uh, to watch the teams work out. And I'm just leaving my hotel room. And as I'm walking out of the room, I almost it was like I almost got hit by a car. There was this, you know, like crinkly um, sweatsuit guy sprinted past me and uh, almost knocked me over. And it was Vital. Um, he was doing wind sprints up and down the uh, the corridor in the in the hotel. And I'm like, "What are you doing?" He says, "I got to get some exercise." And then we got down to the uh, to the lobby, and our car was a little bit late picking us up. So he just tears off and runs up the stairs around the uh, the balcony and back down the other side. He did it like two or three times. I'm like, man, you got issues. You, you got some. He's like an eight year old, uh, but but just a great guy. And and uh, the, you know the game game wouldn't be the same without him. God, how does he do it? I mean, he's eighty something years old. And I mean, he's he's a teenager out there running around. Yeah, I think he's eighty two. Yeah. but you'd never know it. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll, uh, the guys, all the play-by-play guys all joke that when he, when he talks, he'll grab, he'll grab his partner physically <laughs> and grab him. They, they got marks on him at the end of the, end of the broadcast. See, but guys like you and him and Rafferty, like, I enjoy watching the, the game because I can tell how much y'all enjoy doing what you're doing. And that's what makes it so special. Well, it's the same with you, Colt. I mean, uh, you know, when when you love the game and love the people like that, that's one of the things about Raftery that I've always admired the most is he doesn't just love the game. He loves the people in the game. And and, he, you know, before every game, we always go back and we see the coaches. And I was always reluctant to do it because I didn't want to bother a coach right before a game. But he just walks into the locker room. Uh, you know, and he'd go see the trainer and say, hey, my hip is hurting. Can you put, give me some give me some treatment on my hip? Uh, you know, whatever it was, we were always back there and, uh, and no coach ever said no to him. Um, you know, everybody loved seeing him and, uh, he just, he just makes your life better. Uh, being around Raftery is, uh, it's just fun. It's so much fun. And, uh, we did a game one time we, uh, he and McDonough and I were in Philly and, uh, we, we would always go to lunch, uh, the day of the game and then go watch workouts and do the game that night. You know, it was always big Monday. It was always a seven o'clock game. So we went to lunch and Raftery had been with Vern Lundquist on Sunday, uh, doing a game for CBS. So he gets there to lunch and, uh, and it was a total setup. Uh, but Sean says, uh, well, how was the game this weekend? How's Vern? And, uh, and Raftery says, oh, it was great. We went out. We went out the night before the game. We opened some wine and we talked about the business and we talked about all the great broadcasters. Your name didn't come up, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I lost it. We, we we repeat that almost every lunch we have now. But that's uh, how the vibe was when y'all like when working together. It's like it's, it's these guys. They know everything about basketball. They're going to give great analysis, but they also have fun and they're going to say something at some point. Like the like, have you ever been ridden comment? You know what I mean? It sounds more like guys who actually sit around and watch the game, except they actually know what the hell they're talking about. And it's hard to get, you know, when, when you have um, uh, a, a pairing or a trio like that, where it's it's friends. It's not just a couple of pros that are working together. It's guys that are legit friends that we would be saying the same things, but probably with more cursing if we were just sitting together watching the game at a bar. And, uh, and that, that kind of thing, I think, is easy to say that you want to do. It's just hard to do. 
And uh, with those guys, it was easy. And uh, when, when Raft had to take that opportunity with Fox, when, uh, when he got that amazing contract with Fox, um, we were all saddened that, you know, it was kind of breaking us up, but at the same time, yeah, we were, we're happy for Raft, but uh, you know, it'll never be the same. It, it, you know, it, it's always great with the, the people I luckily have to work with, but that was, that was impossible to duplicate. It'll never be, it'll never be quite like that again. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Easy in theory, tough in execution. Speaking of, have you ever, in all your years on air, had a slip up that you regret and said something like, whoops, that, that came out a little wrong? You got anything that stand out? Well, yeah. Oh, I've had things I've stated inartfully, certainly, uh, but I've never had a, a slip up where I, you know, I, I cursed on the air, said something, you know, said something uh, politically incorrect, something like that. There may have been times where, I, I said something or stated something that I would like to have done again because I would have liked to have uh, been clearer or, uh, you know, stated it more artfully. But uh, but I've been pretty lucky. I, you know, when I started, I, I sort of realized that don't say anything near a microphone that you don't want the entire world to hear. Uh, so I've been been pretty lucky with that one. Um, you know, I, I've not not yet made that kind of mistake, but but I, I wouldn't put it past me. Give it time. <laughs> it happens. I know a good attorney. Do you, uh, Jay? Are you a hockey guy at all? I was when I was growing up. I grown up in L.A. I was a big Kings fan uh, back when you know they had Marcel Dion and Roby Bashan and Bob Barry was coaching them. Um, and I, I I watch it, but I'm not I'm not religious about it. I was a huge baseball fan growing up and, and basketball, but uh, and I, I watch I watch a, a fair amount of football. But um, but I'm not immersed in anything like I used to be. For me, it's basketball and golf. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, you know, my my wife says, you know, really, do we have to have the golf channel on right yes. now? Seriously, uh, but I can't get enough of it. I I watch it all the time. You tell her to start enjoying it. Okay, we got to watch a lot of golf. But there was a great slip up in the hockey game last night. Um, when in the Avs in the overtime game, there was a a rule. There was a goal that was kind of being challenged. In the they brought the guest official on who goes over the rules if there's ever an incident or all and they brought him in and he's explaining the rule and as they're doing it they're showing the replay and it's like a really close decision he goes oh shit and he's like oh gosh sorry (laughs) on tnt it was fantastic i was like that stuff just happens the guy shouldn't get punished or anything it was hilarious well i still think we ought to have a channel and we'll just call it espn fu where (laughs) where you can you can just curse and all that stuff because it's cable. There's no FCC problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be I think it'd be fantastic. Uh, you know, like instead of a Manning cast, we just have a cursing cast because uh, we're all thinking it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, I curse I curse uh, with the best of them. Uh, I try not to, but I can't help it. Um, so I would I would prefer that. I think it'd be a, a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I think those days are coming. I don't, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I, th- I feel like those days are coming where you can have an alternate broadcast where it's like, all right, guys will say what they'll say sitting around a couch watching the game with their boys. Yeah, and it doesn't insult me. Um, you know, I, I actually prefer it, but uh, but I can understand how how some people don't like it. I, I mean, I remember I I, uh, I invited uh, a friend uh, and, and that friend's parents to a game at Arizona when I was an assistant. We were playing on the road at Tucson and uh, friends of mine from California, and they were, you know, very uh, faith-based, you know, religious family. And, but I put them in the best seat we get is right behind coach K. And uh, they were shocked at how much cursing there was on the (laughs) sidelines among the players and the coaches. And I said, it's just for emphasis. I mean, you know, if coach K told us to grab that rebound, it doesn't carry as much weight as, as grab that effing rebound. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and, and that, that, that carries a lot more weight. 
I mean, you watch it completely. Listen, you watch Hard Knocks, which is obviously a very popular show on HBO during NFL training camp. I mean, that's just how coaches and athletes talk. I mean, I don't understand why people think it's any different. It's how I talk. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I look, I clean it up for, for I clean up my act for uh, the appropriate circumstances. You know, I try not to curse in church and I don't curse on the air. But other than that, uh, uh, I'm cursing. And uh, I don't I don't see that as a, a sin or uh, uh, a negative. Uh, I, I think it is a mostly a positive. Well, you love a game where cursing is encouraged, and it also probably brings out the most cursing, and that's that's golf. You cur- you currently carry a five handicap. I looked up and I saw mm. at Charlotte Country Club. You're also up there at a nice little place called Pine Valley. How's your golf game right now? How often are you getting to play? I play uh, every day that I can, um, and I, it, I do something golf related just about every day. If I can't play, I'll go out to the club and hit balls or putt or something like that because I just love it. I, I just enjoy it. I wish I had played when I was a kid. I just, I didn't, I didn't take to it when I was a kid because it seemed like every time I went to my dad's club, somebody was telling me, don't do this. Don't walk here. Be quiet. You're not allowed to do that. And back then for juniors, you know, my dad was a member of Rolling Hills country club and my brother was a stud player from the time he was like 10 or 12 years old. And, uh, you know, we, as a junior, we used to have to pick the range before he could play. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Nobody tells me what to do when I'm playing basketball or baseball or be quiet or or there weren't as many rules. And then when I was playing pro ball in Italy, uh, I'd come back during the summer and when we'd work out, the guys, we couldn't work out all day. Guys wanted to play golf after we worked out and I just got hooked on it. Uh, So I, I, I love, you know, golf is the only game where you get to destroy private property while intoxicated and you don't get arrested. I mean, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good gig. That's well said. I like beautiful. I like that. Take Pine Valley out of the equation because the vibe's slightly different up there. But what kind of golfer are you? Are you a listen to music, have some cocktails on the course, or a lock in, grind it out type of a guy? I'm I'm whatever the uh, whatever the culture is at, at a particular club. Um, so I you know like at Charlotte Country Club, some guys will play a little bit of music. It's not uh, very often that guys do that. Um, but I I've been playing and lucky enough to be, go as a guest to a place called the Hoopy match club in Georgia mm, yes. over the last couple of years. And man, there's not a better track in the country. Um, they, they hit every note right at a Hoopy and they'll play music there. It's, uh, it's a little more casual and it, it's the kind of thing that I think every golfer it's all match play, which is really cool, but it's, it's the kind of place every golfer wants to be where it's, it's um, like it, they, they adhere to the traditions of the game without adhering to uh, traditional stuffiness that sometimes can, can sneak into golf. And, uh, and you know, I, I think, you know, it, not every club needs to be like that, but I do think more clubs need to be like that because, uh, I mean, if you haven't played a hoopy match club, um, it, that needs to be on your bucket list because uh, it, it's, it's after having played it, it's one of those places I will crawl on my knees to play again because it's that much fun and that enjoyable. That is it's awesome. It's one of the best places. They have a very relaxed young Jeezy policy out there, I've found. <laughs> yes, and that's what every golf course needs. They need more more young Jeezy, more Biggie. Um, that, that, that's that's what I think where the game is headed and should head. I love Commissioner that. Billis. That's fantastic. You mentioned you watch a lot of golf on TV. Who are some of your maybe handful of players that you that are your favorite to watch and who you root for? My, probably my favorite player is Justin Thomas. Um, I just, I, I love him and love his game and, and huge Rory uh, McElroy fan. Um, big fan of Harold Barner. I haven't yeah. met him. Uh, and, you know, he, he practiced sometimes at Charlotte country club. 
uh, and I've gotten to know Webb Simpson a little bit. So I'm a huge fan of Webb, uh, you know, but there, there's really nobody that I don't enjoy watching um, because, you know, I, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I, I think golf is the hardest game ever invented. And, you know, when you, when you hit a good shot, you wonder how you ever hit a bad one. When you hit a bad one, you wonder how you ever hit a good one. <laughs> and it's different every day. The conditions are always different. And, you know, I played uh, years ago with a guy named Jack Marin who played basketball at Duke in the 60s and played in the NBA for a long time. And he's a fabulous golfer. You know, he's played on this, this celebrity tour. And, and uh, he's, he's older now. He's in, probably in his early 70s, uh, maybe mid-70s. But he's just a fabulous athlete. Uh, and, that, and I mean athlete back when I was a kid. An athlete then, now it means run and jump. But when I was a kid, athlete meant you could play a lot of different sports. And that's what Jack Marin is. And he made a five footer one time when we were playing and one of our playing partners said, just like a free throw, right, Jack? And he's like, are you kidding me? And he said, a free throw is the same all the time. The conditions are the same. It's the same distance. He goes, he goes, a five foot putt, every five foot putt is different and conditions are different. You know, the, the grass is all this thing. And he launches into this explanation. I was going, you know, damn it. He's right. Um, yeah. The conditions are always different. Um, the ball never moves and it's hard as hell. Um, it, 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 I wish one of the things, I mean, I think I would have been a better basketball player if I had played golf when I was a kid, because there's nothing that requires you to move on from the last play and, and, and you know, like let it go and move on than golf, uh, and just deal with what's in front of you. And I think my concentration and everything would have been better, uh, if I had played golf when I was a kid. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, it definitely like teaches you to deal with disappointment, unlike any <laughs> other sport. It's just disappointment over and over and over again. It's hard enough to get us both to quit. So, well, pretty- my brother, my brother was and is a great golfer, um, and he was pro caliber good when he was, you know, in his twenties. And when uh, we had played one time, and he blew one out of bounds at Charlie Country Club on the seventh hole, and just reteed one and knocked it, you know, three twenty down the middle. And, you know, just started whistling as he's walking down the fairway. And I'm like, you, how do you not get mad at that? When I blow one out of bounds, I'm like trying not to throw my club. And he says, well, the difference between you and me is I know I'm not going to do that again. And uh, I was going, geez, you're right. That's fair. Um, you know, he made a, ba- yeah, he made a bad swing, but he, you know, he, he's not going to do it again. And why, why carry that bad action with you into your next one? And, uh, you know, he's got a much better outlook on golf than I do because I'm worried that, oh, that, that, that here's a harbinger of things to come that I just I just hit a, a, a you know, hit one fat. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> That's great. Schedule permitting. Will you be at the President's Cup, President's Cup in Charlotte? Yes. Awesome. Absolutely. Love Absolutely. Um, you know, Quail Hollow Club is one of my favorite places on the planet. And uh, and to have, you know, I'm so glad that they've. Um, you know, they've, they've adjusted, uh, the course. So they're going to play 16, 17 and 18. I think they're playing it as uh, 14 through 16, right? Um, 14 through so, 16 or 13 you know, most, through 15. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So most of the, most, if not all of the matches are going to have the green mile in it. And that that's as good as it gets in golf for me. I don't know what you think about it, but you know, those holes are fantastic finishing holes and to have all those matches, uh, be able to, to have those holes in it. I think it'll be really cool. And it's such a great uh, viewing golf course. Yes. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. I, I, my, the favorite sporting event I've, I've attended outside of, of a basketball event uh, has been the Ryder Cup. I went to the Ryder Cup in 08 in Louisville. And, uh, and I, nothing I've, I've been to has matched that. But I think the President's Cup will be, be right with it. 
it'll be awesome. And it's Quail Hollow is beautiful, but for the players, there's also some beautiful scenery running around there, if you know what I mean. Yes. Do you yes. Know? Did you pick <laughs> up on that? Char- Charlotte does very Ooh. well there. You That's a good on one. The subtlety. That's a good one. Love it. All right, Jay. Well, it's time to get to our emergency nine here. We do with everyone. And we ask this question to everyone. You, you can trade lives with anyone, dead or alive, be them for a day. Who would it be? Tiger Woods. Yeah, I'd oh. like to be Tiger for a day and just be able to hit any any shot I wanted. Uh, that would be kind of nice. Um, I, I've done not being able to hit any shot I want, and I would prefer the Tiger the Tiger Woods thing. I like that. Good one. I think that's the first Tiger answer we've had, and we do all golfers well, all the time. Those golfers. They don't, they don't want to be another Yeah, they want to be somebody, somebody else. else. Everybody wants what they can't have. Uh, all right, Jay, I'm, I'm very genuinely interested in this question here. I know you're a big rap fan. All right, so you only get to listen to three rap albums for the rest of your life. What are they? Uh, Jeezy's Thug Motivation 101. Um, probably uh, I'd go with Biggie. Um, like Notorious B.I.G. is as good as it gets. And then anything by Tupac. Mm, yeah, hard to argue with that. I love that. I'll stay on the young Jeezy topic love here. That. Because I know you're a big fan of his. As you mentioned, it's one of your top three albums. He puts you in one of his remixes. What is the line he uses to refer to you? Go to work like Jay Billis. Love that. What did you think when you heard that, dude? That's got to be like the biggest feather in your cap ever for Jeezy to shout you out. Yeah, I I was blown away by that. Um, I'm in another one, too. I can't remember which one, but the the Jeezy one blew me away Uh, because I started that thing kind of by accident. Um, You know, I was... uh, we were on game day uh, in Michigan State, and Draymond Green was listening to some headphones uh, in warmups while we were on the air. And he came by, and and one of us asked him, "What are you listening to?" And he said, "Young Jeezy." And Hubert Davis was was with us at the time before he left to go back to North Carolina. And he said, "He said, is that on your is that on your playlist?" And I think he said iPod at the time. That's how long ago it was. It was probably 2010. And I said, "Actually, it is." Um, you know, I, I I listened to that in high school. The Sugar Hill Gang was big when I was in high school, when, oh, when rap first started wow. getting going and hip hop and, uh, you know, rapper's delight. My teammates and I sang that every day while we were working out. And uh, and so somehow on Twitter, I started going back and forth with people saying, come on, man, you don't listen to Snowman. That was all BS. And I started putting lyrics out to prove that I did listen to it. It's not the only thing I listen to. It's not, it's not like I listen to rap music only. I, I'm a big Stones fan, Zeppelin, all that kind of old school uh, but I started putting it out and it became an everyday thing. I, I don't even know how it happened. But now if I don't put one out in the morning, my friends call me and say, you okay? You're like, was something wrong? <laughs> I'm like, geez, this has gotten out of hand. That's great. People depend on that, man. Yeah. We, uh, we have a segment on our Sirius XM show. We actually haven't done it in a while. We need to called, bring that back. What do you mean? Where we take funny rap lyrics and have our guests explain what they mean. In layman's it's fantastic. terms. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Justin yeah, and, Thomas and is you the actually best. do. Yeah, you actually do have to be a little bit careful sometimes because yes. yep. uh, I, I want to make I want to make sure I'm I'm somewhat appropriate with it, so I have to do some editing at times. Yeah, you got to be careful which lyrics you're picking out there this right. day and age. Um, all right, next one for me with the NIL rules coming to college basketball. Do you think Jerry Tarkanian deserves more credit for embracing the NIL deal 30 years before it came legal? Yes, and he wasn't the only one. Uh, it happened everywhere. Um, there's, there's probably not a good player from the the sixties up until today that was strictly eligible given how draconian the, uh, the NCAA's amateurism rules were and are, and I always thought it was funny, you know, I, I, uh, through playing golf, I've gotten to know, uh, a friend of TaylorMade and I went out to their, uh, you know, the the kingdom out in Carlsbad 
uh, and had a blast. And while I was there, you know, there were a bunch of college players there that carrying out a bunch of, you know, a bunch of equipment afterwards. So I'm going, if those were basketball players, they'd be flagged in two seconds for that. So the rules were never really enforced uh, with regard to all that stuff. It was selective. Um, but I'm just glad the players now get an opportunity um, to monetize uh, their talent a little bit because it's pro sports. And, and really the only thing amateur in America now is golf. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, but, but amateur golfers decide whether they're going to practice on a particular day and whether they're going to play, you know, like, a, you know, somebody, you know, my age might play in the senior am. They say, well, I can't play this year. My daughter's getting married. You know, it, when you're playing college football or college basketball, you're not saying, hey, I can't take this trip to Clemson this weekend because I got something going on. You're going and you're practicing when the coach says practice. Uh, you're, you're an employee. And so pretty soon they're going to be signed to contracts and, and this is going to be what it should be, which is, a you know, it's a multi-billion dollar entertainment industry and the players deserve to, to you know, get their, you know, have their full economic rights just like everybody else. And some of them are getting paid rather handsomely. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a follow up because Ryan Day, the Ohio State football coach, just came out and said he basically thinks it takes two million for a quarterback this day and age for the top end quarterback like Ohio State would have. What do you think it's going to be for college basketball? Uh, it'll be in similar vein, uh, but when you think about it, two million is cheap um, for the amount of money that these guys are pulling in. I mean, the coaches are getting paid like NFL coaches. Do we expect that the players aren't going to command, um, you know, decent salaries? And people say, "Well, there's got to be a salary cap." Okay, you want to have a salary cap? Um, salary caps are collectively bargained between the players' association and the league, whether it's the NBA or the NFL. And what what people fail to uh, to recognize in that is those players get half of the league revenues to divvy up amongst themselves. So the salary cap makes sense, but they also have salary minimums. And we don't have any of that in college sports yet. I don't think it's it's going to be a while before we get there. But, uh, uh, you know, if people, hey, if people want, you know, the, the players to get half, like college sports gets off cheap. And, you know, Ryan Day estimated $13 million to keep mm-hmm. his roster intact. Um, when you start thinking about the money that Ohio State football pulls in, that's cheap. Oh. And uh, uh, it's, it, now it sounds expensive relative to what players have gotten uh, in the past, which is zero. Uh, and they say they didn't get zero. They got a scholarship. Well, the scholarship was paid by the athletic department to the school. So they were just moving money from one account to another. The school wasn't out that money. It's just a if you if you want to say the school was out anything, they were out the opportunity cost of having a play, uh, paying student sitting in that that seat. But that's it. Uh, these players are big revenue drivers and, uh, and they deserve, in my view, deserve, uh, to be paid. Like, look, if the U S amateur brought in 25 million, the players would want a piece of that. Um, uh, and, and just even when the Ryder cup, uh, brings in so much, the players, the players wanted to be able to direct it to charities that they may choose. They got criticized for it. That doesn't seem unreasonable to me. Nope. Not at all. That is a money-making I mean, I know it's every other year, but my God, it brings in a lot of money. And it might keep these kids in college longer. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's better for college that's basketball. That's exactly right. I'm getting $2 Which million to stick it. around. I don't want to get drafted by the name it, whoever, the magic in the first overall pick. I'll that's just write exactly it out right. another year. Make another $2 million and for somebody people, else. Yeah. Bingo. And for people who believe in education, and I'm one of them, what's wrong with having players in school longer? You know, yeah. they're, they're getting better educated. So that's a that's a plus for the enterprise. So there's really no, to me, no downside to it, except, you know, if we're all going to clutch our pearls and pretend it's 1955. Yeah, Gonzaga's got a little bit of it right now. Those got staying probably because of that. It's heading yep. in the right direction. That's for sure. 
All right, next one for me. Through all the years you've watched some incredible players, you can call one person's game for your last game. Who would it be? That's a great question. Um, I mean, if I could go back, I would want to call a game of, of a contemporary of mine that I played against. It would be Lynn Bias, uh, who passed away in 1986, right before the draft. We were the same year in school, played against each other for four years. And, and I think he would have been uh not it sounds crazy to say the equal but he would have challenged jordan for for best player in the nba uh in that time frame had he lived um but in the in the more contemporary times i'd love to go back and call more of kevin durant's games when he was the texans because uh uh he was uh he was special man and still is that's awesome yeah he was one of the first of the breed seven foot handles and shooting it um all right here we go all right so duke's always got a villain on their team, right? Somebody that other fan bases just despise. Give me your top three or four most hated Duke villains of all time. <laughs> Number one was Leitner. Gotta uh, be. I was an assist. Yeah, I was an assistant on that that Duke team that had Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Grant Hill, Thomas Hill, that whole crew, and they were amazing. Uh, but Leitner was, uh, you know, people didn't like him because he had everything. Uh, he was, you know, six ten. Uh, could play with anybody. He was a great player and a great competitor. Uh, but he was also, you know, good looking and one of, you know, he was in college. He was in People Magazine as one of the fifty, you know, most beautiful people in America. That kind of thing. Um, so there was a lot of reasons not to like him. But he also gave as good as he got. Like he could, he could talk trash with anybody and never took a back seat to anybody. But he was an amazing athlete too. Like I, we used to play tennis every once in a while, and he could. He I saw him do this. He could stand on his hands on one baseline and and walk on his hands to the other baseline. Uh, the guy was just a, a remarkable, remarkable athlete. That's six ten. Yeah, they've had some good ones in there. JJ Redick took the. JJ Redick was one of the most hated. He had a hell of a time at visiting arenas, and now he's like beloved in the sports media. It's been a crazy transformation for him. Yeah, Reddick would be up up there, you know. Grayson Allen, Steve Wojciechowski, Grayson Allen, uh, you know, Danny Ferry. Um, you know, Dan Danny was one of those guys. Uh, he was probably he was probably hated by opponents, uh, but loved by his teammates. You know, all these guys were loved by their teammates. They're all great guys. Um, I, I don't pretend to understand like the uh, the Duke hate thing. Um, cause like, you know, I've been a fan growing up. I mean, I, I didn't like opposing teams or the teams I, I, uh, rooted for the most growing up, but, but I never, I don't remember ever hating a player, um, you know, rooting for somebody to lose or not liking to see somebody win. That's a fan's domain. I never got the hate part. Um, cause Reddick was a great player and a great guy, uh, just cause he was a, you know, confident, cocky player. Uh, didn't to me didn't rise the level of wanting to hate the guy, but you know, people do as they do. He recently said he had to change his phone number like 15 times in college because opposing people would get it and just send him all kinds of hate. It was probably bill collectors from the bars he went to that uh, <laughs> where he didn't pay his tab. That's fair. Hey, that's part of it. That was NIL pre NIL. All right, my next one. Uh, we love Charles Barkley here on Subpar, he's one of my favorite analyst in the game give us one word that describes charles barkley's broadcasting unvarnished um <laughs> barkley says whatever he's thinking and he probably you know it sounds funny to say he gets away with stuff it's but true i think i think other broadcasters that would say some of the things he would say would get you called on the carpet with your bosses 
And uh, and Barkley had, and I think it's because he's such a good guy. I mean, I, I just don't know many better guys than Charles Barkley. And one of the things Colt that's always impressed me about about Chuck is he is unfailingly nice to fans, like unfailingly, um, and and to the point where you know people will will bother him. And, and he is great with them. Uh, I actually brought this up with them on a podcast we were on recently where we had gone to Sean McDonough has a charity golf tournament in Boston and he brought, you know, he flew, flies all these people in and, and Barkley and I were, uh, uh, we weren't on the same flight, but we landed at the same time, get picked up by the same person. And he was waiting for his, we were both waiting for our golf bags to come out and uh, Barkley got stuck back in coach and everybody else is in first class and they, they screwed his ticket up. And not one complaint. And, and he, uh, people are coming up for pictures and autographs and you name it. And he, he stayed there until everybody got what they wanted. And, uh, I was blown away by that. Um, you know, there, look, he's not the only person that's exceedingly nice to fans, but, uh, but there's nobody that that's nicer as consistently as he is. You just don't bother him while he's eating dinner and he'll take all the pictures and sign all the autographs you want. Yeah, and and look, I, I remember he it didn't didn't he get in a, a scrape with a fan sometime and threw him out a window. Um, that can uh, happen. And then went, yeah, well, he got he got sued for it, and they asked him. I, I remember reading this. They asked him, uh, "Do you have any regrets?" And he said, "Yeah, I regret we weren't on the second floor." Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think he wound up winning. Wound up winning the lawsuit. Yeah, that's that's a good one. The only fans he doesn't like is the Golden State Warriors. He got into it. They were throwing. They were throwing him. shit at him. Yeah, that's he didn't like fair. that. You can't throw stuff at Chuck. And still doesn't back off. Nope. No. And he's so irreverent that he's just bulletproof. It's, he's built a perfect a perfect uh, professional um, image there. All right, last one from me, Jay. Best defense you've ever seen. The 1998, or excuse me, 1988 Georgetown Hoyas, or you in the courtroom against Barney? Mm. Oh, it'd be me. I was yeah. uh, unflinching in the, in the courtroom. Uh, and anybody, you know, look, w- without with suspending all humility, anybody that could take on the evil horde that was uh, was prosecuting that Barney case, um, you know, I put that I put that on par with uh, running up Oba- Omaha Beach, um, yeah, as uh, w- with difficulty, yeah, heroics, heroic. You I'm, killed Barney, dude. You you did it a hero. everyone a favor. I love it. That's yeah, fantastic. I, I'm sure a congressional congressional medal of honor the. Medal of Freedom's coming my way anytime now for that. Without question. All right, last one. Put together a starting five on the basketball court of PGA Tour players. Wow. Uh, Dustin Johnson, because I think he can still dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put Tiger up there when when he before all the injuries, because mm-hmm. uh, I think athletically uh, Tiger could hang. Um, you would need a small guard that could uh, handle the ball and uh, no tour players lower to the ground can play lower. Like guys that play low, I would put Justin Thomas there because he can play low. Um, who We need somebody to rebound. Like a Patrick Beverly I need, type. I need you gotta have Gary, so probably, you got to have Woodland on there. I don't know if you've ever watched any golf, but they, yeah, what, that's I don't right. know they mentioned he plays at, basketball. Yeah, he played at Pittsburgh Pittsburgh State, right? And then uh, he, he played at Allen. Played at Allen Fieldhouse against his, Kansas. His uh, he so, played yeah, at he played, Wal- Walford, right? Yeah, it's a, he played at a small school yeah, in Kansas, then transferred into KU to play golf. His first ever college basketball game was at Allen Fieldhouse, and he had to guard Kurt Heinrich. Yeah, he guarded Kurt. Set up. See ya. 
Yeah. Well, he could probably take Heinrich on the course. Um, <laughs> so that's a fair trade. Yeah. Woodland is a good call. And then I would want uh, Brooks Kepka because mm. uh, I'd want an, uh, uh, somebody that they could furrow their brow and be an enforcer and lay somebody out. I love Draymond it. Green, Kepka. There you go. Yeah. yeah. He'd be the Draymond Green. Yeah. yeah I like wouldn't that. take crap from anybody. I like that. Well, Jay Billis, man, this has been awesome. Hope to see you in Charlotte at the President's Cup, but we really appreciate you coming on with us. Yeah, come on out and play, man. I need a member guest partner. I'm a, I'm available. Deal. Thank you guys for having me. You got appreciate it, man. Thank you, you so Jay, much, Jay. Thank you. All right. Well, that was Jay Billis joining us on Golf Subpar. What a dude. I mean, he is just incredible. Loves, loves his basketball. Loves his golf. Loves a cocktail or two. Ain't scared Ain't scared to swear a little bit. I, I'm all in on Jay Billis. He loves the cocktail. Maybe not. Maybe not as much as Raff. Wow. Sounds like Bill Raftery. I wanted oh. to ask like 17 Raff questions in a row just because I'd heard some of the stories, but I think we got the gist of it there. That dude is a legend. By the way, when it was when it was Billis, Raff, and McDonough, that might have been my favorite all time basketball crew calling it. Also, loved his idea of the es. What do you call it? ESPN FU. FU. Where you yeah. can just get a little vibe in there. You know what I mean? Just like the fellas. That's what I'm looking for for golf. Maybe tell trot that out to CBS. Say okay, CBS yeah, FU, and I got the lead guy. That's when I slide in. No, but he was great, man. Remember at Pine Valley, Charlotte Country Doesn't Club. Hurt. Loves to play, loves some golf. He gets out there, gets amongst it. And loves Jeezy. Loves yes. him some Jeezy. His tweets are awesome. Yeah. What's your favorite uh, Jeezy lyric, would you say? Yeah. I love that, by the way, too. He was <laughs> flat out open and honest. His favorite player, Justin Thomas. Straight up. That's pretty good. Justin Thomas likes his hip hop as well. Exactly. We should have done a what What do you mean with, uh, with Billis? Because there's some interesting. Jeezy ones out there. I could use some decipher. I like getting the non-golf guys, though, that are very passionate about golf and know a lot about it. They get really excited talking about the game. There's a ton of them out there, man. Like, everyone, whether you play golf or you're in another sport, they all love it. And, um, yeah, Billis is – he's just a dude, man. He's just a dude. Always also doesn't hurt to uh, know another Pine Valley member. You no, know what I mean? Does not. So, Jay, By the way, keep that phone on you, bud. How about some of those Coach K halftime and pregame speeches? I never figured Coach K for, like – I don't want to call it, like, the gimmick stuff, but, yeah. like, the whole – you know what I mean? Like, the, I thought he'd just come in there and just chew Lights some out, asses. Costumes. And they'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he he's done it all, I guess. Well, thanks to Jay Billis for coming on. And it is time to step up to the tee and take a swing at betting the PGA Tour on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet the tour with a no-sweat first bet. If you don't win, you'll get up to $1,000 back in free bets. Sleaze, once again, our hearts were ripped out. I had Will Zalatoris last week as my favorite. Let's talk about this. Uh, we He was obviously one shot short. Our bet, favorite bets of the week. I had Xander Schauffele to top 10. He finishes tied for 14th. Decent track record for decent him. Decent track record. Had a terrible Saturday, which absolutely killed us. You're trying to get on the board. You had Sam Burns. <laughs> I, I had the surest thing. Top 20. In, I, when I saw it, I was like, this is a typo. They messed up. It's supposed to be minus 115, but it's plus 115. Sam Burns all day, top 20. He was never sniffed. He had a better chance of winning the damn tournament than not finishing in the top 20. I cannot get my horses over the finish line. I had Cam Young shoot me a little 84 piece. A while back in the final round, Wyndham choked his ass off coming in at Colonial with me on the bag. I'll take a little bit of that. But now Burns, I just I can't get a Sunday. I can't get my boys, I can't get my horses to the barn right now. All right, well, like I said, over at FanDuel, you bet risk-free up to $1,000. Get get that back in site credit. But you got all kinds of options. You got head-to-head matchups, top 20s, no big deal. They're harder than you think. <laughs> all right, nationality props, all kinds of things. So head over to FanDuel and play some bets, win some money. 
and see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sports book. This week, we're on to the Travelers Championship, one of the best tournaments on the PGA Tour, except for one asshole fan out there, which I don't like. Who I love this me man. I need to meet ago. this man and shake his hand. The Colt Most Hater from Hartford. God, whoever hater you are. from Hartford, I need shit. you, bud. I don't know who you are, but I don't like you. <laughs> but this tournament is incredible. They treat you so well up there. It's a fun golf course. Always an exciting finish. Last year, we had the eight-hole playoff between Harris English and Kramer Hickok. Um, it's going to be a fun one. We got a very, very strong field. Good field. A week after a major, they got a hell of a oh, field. Roy McElroy, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be yeah. can't lay. It's going to be awesome. But let's get on the board. Let's let's get, let's I'd pick love a winner. To get on How the many damn second board. places do we have in this thing this year? There's been a Ridiculous. grizz of runner-ups this year. All right. Well, my favorite this week. I'm going off a guy who didn't play his best last week. Finished, I, th- I believe, 37th. But he's a past champion here. He just. At some re- some week, he's going to put it all together. I know he he won at Hilton Head. Started to look like what was going to be a nice run. Then he fell off a little bit. Hartford, it's going to bring the best out in him. He's going off at 22-1, to 1, which I love those odds. Jordan Spieth, my pick, is my favorite. Yeah, give Spieth a little little free pass for last week. Was fighting oh. that stomach bug. He yeah. had to come out there. Wore white pants on Thursday after a stomach bug. That Speaking takes, of gambling. That takes some balls. You know what I mean? That's a guy I like to hitch my wagon to. All right, you got Spieth. I'm going with another guy. Not his best week, but he was also fighting a little something at the U.S. Open. Didn't show up for two days. Was had some personal reasons for practice rounds. But I got Patrick Cantlay at 16-1. to 1. He finished 11th back in 2020. Uh, finished 14th last week at the U.S. Open without even close to 60 his... 60 as an amateur? Close to his best stuff. Exactly. 60 as an amateur around here. 16-1, to 1, I'm going Patrick Cantlay. Okay. Like it. Like it. I mean, I like Patrick Cantlay at every Every course. single, yeah. Just run it. All right. My dark horse. I'm very surprised by these uh, these odds because he's starting to play some much better golf. Finished 14th at the U.S. Open last week. He missed the playoff by a shot last year at Hartford. He's a past champion. Mark Leishman going off at 55-1. to 1. I think he's about to get things rolling. I love Leish. Love him everywhere, uh, especially on those firm golf courses. I thought last week would be a great, great setup for I mean, Leishman. He finished 14th. Yeah, it was solid. That might be an early preview as my little bet of the week, a little top 10 action from Mark Leishman. I, well, Stay I, tuned. I need somebody to finish 36 holes. You should just say. Minus 5,000 <laughs> just to that. get to 36th hole and complete it. That's what I'm looking for right now. All right, my dark horse. Stay with me on this one. 75 to 1, right? Pretty juicy. Here's mm-hmm. his last three starts. 27th at Colonial, solid. Fifth at Memorial, tough ballpark. Seventh at the U.S. Open. Kind of worked his way into being a little bit of a factor there late in the game. But I'm going Denny McCarthy, the best putter of the rock on the PGA Tour right now and starting to strike it, too. He's really playing some good golf. Also a Northeast guy. Uh, friendly confines up there. For Can him. roll it. Absolutely roll it. Tied for seventh last week. Um, I know he's very disappointed. He looked like he had a chance. I was with a little bug on the yeah. last, too. Yeah. All right. Well, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using promo code SUBPAR to get started with your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. FanDuel Sportsbook, official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Make sure you use promo code SUBPAR. Must be 21 years and older and present in Arizona, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, or Wyoming. First online real money wager on the refund issued as non withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit fanduel.com slash RG or 1 800 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 or 1 888 7877 or visit ccpg.org slash chat or 1 877 8 hope ny or text hope ny or 1 800 522 4700. What a time that was! What a read! Fantastic week. Who we got coming up next? It's going to be a surprise. Don't worry about it. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar.